You're listening to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund podcast. The CBLDF podcast is produced by the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund as part of our ongoing education program. My name is Alex Cox, and I'm the host and producer of this podcast. This episode's guest is Ronald Wimberly. Ron is a cartoonist whose recent work includes Prince of Cats and Black History in its own words, and he's currently editing and producing a magazine called Lab, which we talk about uh, at length in this interview. Ron is one of the smartest thinkers I know of in the comics medium. He's a uh, very interesting dude and a great guy, and I was happy that he took the time to sit and talk with me for a little bit. We hit on a wide range of topics in this interview, um, and we barely scratched the surface. So hopefully this is part one of, of several, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Uh, my name is Ronald Wimberly. I'm a cartoonist. I did sentences for Vertigo, Prince of Cats for Image, and um, currently working on Sunset Park and just dropped a comics newspaper called Lab. It's pronounced Lab. That's it? Yeah, yeah. I hear people say Lab. I like that. That's funny. Because, like, Lab is like a, a dish, right? I think it is, yeah. Yeah, it's like a, I think it's like a Middle Eastern dish or something. Yeah, yeah, it makes it yeah. sound nourishing. Right, it should be nourishing. <laughs> and also uh, provoking hunger, you know what I mean? Like, hunger-inducing. I like it. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about the magazine? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, it's, you know, it's a comic newspaper. It's a broad, broadsheet format. Um, I... <laughs> I kind of I kind of push into explore ideas of aesthetic, um, sort of like the ideology of form, um, talking about how uh, politics and our material world produce aesthetics. That's essentially what the first one is. The first one, like this is issue number zero. I, I try to um, I try to give a perspective on. Uh, my sort of critical framework when it comes to exploring any of the themes or even probably, you know, like editing the newspaper in the future, you'll get an idea of like where my head is at. So, you know, so to, so that it's hopefully for the most part uh, politically transparent. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. In terms of my critical framework, is there a model for what this is? Like, is there like like a spiritual grandfather to this thing, or is it is it kind of full cloth out of your brain? Mm, like formally, formally, yeah, it's probably like somebody mentioned it to me the other day. They were saying like, yeah, have you ever seen the Black Panther newspaper? And it's like I've never had a Black Panther newspaper. Um, but like Emery Douglas is is a big influence on me, uh-huh. so uh-huh. I can't say that personally. Um, I've also never had like a uh, what is it, Civisissimo or whatever, you know. But like, no, I, I don't know. Simplicissimus, my bad. Simplicissimus, like um, it was this. Uh, it was like this cartoon newspaper. I think like Weimar Republic era Germany. Oh wow! Yeah. And I never seen that either, but like I always look at the pictures and the Im- images from 
the cartoonists that were in it. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. But, like, yeah, you know, um, there's that. There's, like, any sort of, you know, around um, the city you might pick up, like, uh, uh, a newspaper, like an art newspaper, you know, N plus one or, like, um, you know, E-flux, like that type of thing, you know? Sure. Um, that's kind of like what I like to read, so maybe that's what's inspiring me. There's yeah. this other one from like South Africa. There's this guy, he does this kind of satirical newspaper that I had that I actually also got from Printed Matter. When we were kids uh, in New York, there was a lot of like broadsheet style newspapers floating around that you could just grab out of a stand on the corner. Um, yeah, I remember that. We used to have them in the. Um, well, when I used to work in a record shop on St. Mark's, we used to have the onion there. Yeah, there's like get, a whole wire rack of different newspapers. Yeah. And then, like, Tower Records, they had their own little broadsheet when you walked in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like those things, man. And it's like, the difference between, say, like, a um, a website or, like, you know, having your little feed online is that you have, if you get a newspaper, there's a bunch of stuff in it. And it's like, what I like is you have a newspaper and it sits around the house and like you read, you read the article that you got it for. And then like one day you go to the bathroom or something, or, you know what I mean? Like, or you're sitting down and you're, you know, you're drinking coffee and you're like, oh, I want something to read. And you pull it out and it's like, you know, you got it. And then there's a review of like some show that's out like the village voice, right? You pick up the village voice because it's like, okay, you're a cartoonist. So it's like the cartoon issue or something, right? And then you finish reading all of that shit, and then on the back there's like some review of a show that you're just reading because you just read shit, right? And it's like, oh, this is, oh, this sounds really fucking cool. And then before you know it, you're put on to some new shit, you know? So like, I guess it's that sort of phenomenon that really, you know, grabs me or like inspires me. Yeah, well, it's it's the role of an editor that doesn't necessarily exist as much anymore, where it's somebody that's it's a curatorial voice where there's things there for you even if you don't know you want to read it in a way that a website doesn't provide you also you start to trust certain editorial voices like when you start to pay attention to that sort of thing so there's something to be said for it you have like a a guide like a spirit guy (laughs) yeah and it's funny too like you don't realize it until you you really start to look where you're like oh all these different magazines i read growing up it's weird how the same staff jumped around between, you know, details and spin and whatever. Mm-hmm. And you start to see, like, oh, that's a voice I recognize, and that's a voice that I was, like, drawn to, even if I'm not paying attention. Yeah. Who were some of the contributors in the first uh, first round? Um, well, there's uh, John Jennings um, uh, and James Romberger are, like, the two main contributors, but I interview... Um, Saul Williams, Alexandra Bell, and Trenton Doyle Hancock. If you had a like an editorial mission statement for this magazine, yeah. if nobody's ever heard of the magazine before, although most people probably have, mm. let's uh, let's give them the the elevator pitch. Oh, jeez, man, too much. So let me premise. Let me premise. This. <laughs> I like, yeah, that that's some Hollywood shit. They're so good at it. Like I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed now because I've heard some really good ones recently. Um, I would say it's a comics magazine in the tradition 
of Simplicissimus, except I never read it. <laughs> it's a um, it explores the uh, the politics of the aesthetics in pop culture and comics. So the ideology of form, you know, and also questions seemingly pure aesthetic to uncover the uh, political unconscious right. in the aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sold. It sounds great. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, that's one of the things that I always appreciate about, about talking to you is you, you point out stuff that I haven't thought about always. Um, and I think a lot about form, but I think a lot about pure form, about like technique and about, you know, like, like zipatone patterns. Mm. I'll look at those all day. But what you can point out to me is the sociopolitical aspects of zipatone patterns that I've never thought about. <laughs> it's interesting, right? So, I mean, it, that comes down to economics too, right? Like, so um, I decided that I'm doing uh, what I'm working on right now, Sunset Park. Um, I'm trying to have a more, I guess, um, tactile relationship with the production process and also to produce um, to produce the comic for reproduction but also you know to get something out of the the actual production of the work you know what I mean like just touching it and um, I decided I was going to use four values really four values two two um, two colors right yeah and uh, I decided I was going to find the other values with tones. And then it's like, when you start to get into that, it's like, well, um, anyone can use, not anyone, the only people who can really use the tones uh, on the computer are people who can afford a computer or who have access to the computer and those programs, Right. And only the people like I have the a certain amount of privilege and like angles and sort of relationships that allow me to, you know, procure the um, the actual material tones. Right. <laughs> so uh -huh. Like then you start to think about like what, you know, what makes something look the way that it looks. You know what I mean? Like each page that I'm doing, like, let's say I use maybe a third a page of tones or like a half a page of tones per page, you know, and my materials are not cheap. You know what I mean? Like you start to see like, you know, like <laughs> there's a, there's a political and an economic component to even the production of all of this stuff. Right. Oh, and sure. then it's yeah, yeah. what supports me as I do it. You know what I mean? And like what, you know, who supports me once I finish and like, yeah, what platform do I have versus somebody else? You know what I mean? And also, like it, it speaks to kind of like my relationship, like the history, my history with the tones, right? Like how I'm using them says something about like where I've probably seen them before too. Like, am I picking up on, I'm looking at Krigstein and I'm looking at manga, right? Sure. So um, that's where I'm picking it up. But it's like, it says something to, you know, my lens and the way my aesthetic forms also says something about like who I am. And like, I, I reviewed this, um, T. Franklin comic uh, on um, in lab, and I was just thinking about like my sort of uh, 
critical framework and just thinking about like I didn't really have like how my critical framework was um, maybe antagonistic to the aesthetic that I was looking at and I had to like step back and be like wow okay so like what does it have to do with like me and what I what I privilege what aesthetics I privilege in my own development and like where I'm coming from you know what I mean sure it was interesting yeah 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 so like yeah no I guess there is you know there is a political component to almost you know anything it's not like I'm you know I'm sure there'll probably be some people's like oh well, he's looking for this like I just wanted to make something cool you know, like, I just wanted to make cool monsters fighting and, like, or I just like to play around with these materials. And I, to them, I would ask, like, well, how are you affording to just play around with materials and, like, draw cool monsters? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what, you know, what, what, are, who's fighting the monsters? Like, and what, and what, you know, what are the monsters, like, are, you know, what, what world do they exist in and what world do you choose to uh, show? Like, it, it all, it all comes down to kind of, like, the material world you live in and like how you um you know and the aesthetics that they produce is kind of i mean that's my lens on it you know what i mean oh yeah no that's what i i love about your point of view is that you're not looking for it but you think enough about something that you crack it apart until you find it whether you're looking for it or not yeah and because you're interested in the ecosystem you're interested in in the circumstances an artist exists in and that's the kind of critical framework a lot of people don't use Mm. Um, I know I never think about that. I mean, I, I look at the work on its own and it's almost a disservice to the work to ignore the other aspects. Um, so you make me think about like the broader spectrum of the way something exists and is made. Um, and it's a, it, it's a perspective. I don't think anybody else that I, that I pay attention to is really using. Or anybody with like the platform that I have, at least you know what I mean. Like, it's probably other cats out there. It's like I'm very lucky to have the um, you know, to have the platform to kind of like you know to link up with Josh and Myel over at Beehive and like you know make the newspaper. That's something. That's something too. You know, thinking about it though, man, it's like thinking about how I got to the point of this is like I don't know like I guess the narrative that I would piece together would be like did this come from my need to sort of uh like I I just believe in digging like I had this um teacher in in Pratt called Pasalakwa right David and he used to bring in he used to bring in books every class you know what I mean and we look at the books and he he get just gave us like a type of um, subjectivity in a way, you know what I mean? Like uh, uh, being aware of like our position in art history and like our own sort of uh, moment, you know what I mean, in history and like kind of how our aesthetics are informed by like pr- prior generations and what they did, you know, pardon, I got like a little email there. You know what I mean? And so what, what that led to is and it's like I also kind of grew up in, um, you know, I'm from D.C., so we didn't really have, like, hip-hop type of digging, or I didn't know people like that. My parents, you know, they used to dig for records, but it wasn't like a hip-hop thing, you know what I mean? Like, and my uncle had lots of records in the basement of my great-grandma's house that we used to, like, go through. We weren't supposed to, you know. Um, but, like, What were I they think- listening to? What was What was in the pile of records? Oh man, like so I know my grandma really liked 
Well, everybody in my family liked funk, you know? So, like, there was always a bunch of, like, that 70s, 80s wave of funk, like Parliament, and then up to Cameo, you know, like, and in the 80s, we had, like, Prince, you know, like, my grandma used to, like, well, I guess what you would call what would become dance hall, like, she used to like Shaba, which is crazy. But, like, you know, and all your usual suspects, you know what I mean? Earth, when if my mom loved Earth, when a fire, um, and Marvin Gaye, you know, but like, yeah, those were the records in the house, you know, and like probably a bunch of stuff I wouldn't even remember right now. Denise Williams, you know, like my mom used to love Denise Williams and uh, Philip Bailey. She used to have like Philip Bailey's like Christian um, <laughs> music, like the the cat from uh, Earth, Wind & Fire. So like, yeah, man. Um, were, were you into that stuff? Were you listening to it and enjoying it? Or I mean, it's just what was around, man. Like, yeah. you know, um, that stuff made me who I am. My my whole, <laughs> it's like, it's funny, it's ironic what my life is like now, you know, in publishing or whatever. Given that, like, the first, you know, six years of my life, five, six years, maybe seven years of my life, I just never saw any white people. Like, <laughs> no white people around. Like, the white, the white people who were artists, musicians that I probably heard were, like, yacht rock musicians or like madonna because like back in the day you know you would get like madonna would be on like some of the radio stations that also played like a lot of black music like, i don't even remember i don't remember you know i didn't have like a sort of racial awareness at a very young age because like i spent a large portion of my time like in you know southeast washington dc there just were not i don't know i just was not i just was not as aware about some of the um, I didn't have that sort of political awareness. When I started to go to school and I started to go to schools that had like uh, lots of white people in them, I still wasn't really culturally introduced to that type of stuff. But like then I became sort of like aware that I became a little more aware of that sort of thing. Like I didn't really get into uh, punk and post-punk and all of that until I got to college. Like um, I got to college and it was like the late 90s. And, like, real talk, I'm sorry, but, like, hip-hop was trash. So, like, I was just like, wow, let me see what else there is to listen to. Because I really can't listen to, I can't listen to this, like, shiny suit stuff, man. Like, I just was not into it. So, like, I started to get into other music. Like, my mom used to listen to David Bowie. Like, my, my father, even though I didn't spend much time with him, when I was really, really young, I did. And he would listen to all types of different music, too. I think he was, like, a Zep head. You know what I mean? Like, he listened to a whole bunch of stuff. You know, like, so, um, but hardcore? I didn't get into hardcore probably till like, maybe sophomore year. I had a roommate or, a, yeah, like, a yeah roommate who was really into the Misfits. And then, like, from there, I kind of started to get into that stuff. Like, Bad Brains I had picked up because it's like they were a punk band and they were black and they were from DC and it's like, holy shit. But like, that wasn't until I was in college, man. Like I didn't know about bad brains until I was in college. All right. So I have two conversational dog legs for you. Okay. One, you mentioned Creekstein and manga mm -hmm. and I've got a, uh, an intellectual exercise. Mm. The second part is talking about tones, which talks about your own work. So which one do you want to do first? Let's go and do them in order. In okay. Yeah. So you mentioned Krigstein, who was a uh, 
he worked in comics very briefly. He was working on his way to be a fine artist. He had a nice career in the kind of 60s New York art scene. Um, so he was like a very singular vision. He uh, had his own look. He looks like nothing else before or since. Mm-hmm. And he moved on into painting and never looked back. Mm-hmm. Then you have Manga Studios and give t- take any one of them except for you know a handful of dudes doing very and I use dudes in the gender neutral sense doing very specific you know personal work. Those are two wildly different ways to create art and two wildly different intentions for what you want your art to be. The the bigger question here is. Not how do you reconcile the two, but what do you think it is about those two worlds and the work it created that got under your into your skin at the same time? Well, huh. Like, okay, so Does that make sense? Yeah, sure, sure. So but in order to do that I gotta I kinda gotta go I gotta talk about like what the real expense because we got into Crickstein and manga um talking while talking about tones, right? Yes. Um, and I was looking at, so um, there are a few cats that I'm like looking at and I'm like, okay, well, this is what, like, this is what I would like to do, right? Like if I could synthesize these people um, and one of them I can't because like I just don't have the practice, patience, and I would say time to uh do what they do but like if i could synthesize like let's say five artists for what i'm trying to do on sunset park they're they're Crickstein, they're russell patterson they're um shit that's pretty close right andy warhol antonio lopez and there's one other cat whose name i can't remember right now who's a mangaka from the 80s like well he still does some work he did some character design um, recently, uh, damn, what's that cast name? Anyway, so how do, but how would I reconcile those two? Um, I mean, the manga that I'm into, a lot of those guys are like Gekiga guys, like, you know, um, uh, Matsumoto Tayo. There's an intimacy, there's an intimacy in the manga that I like. It's yeah. usually... It's Gekiga, though. You know what I mean? Like, so um, there's like, it draws you in, and I think the pacing kind of puts you in this place. But here's the thing here's something that's like un- unique about the two of them is the pacing in Crickstein and the pacing in manga in general are very different than Western, than any other Western um, type of comics. Yeah. You know, looking what. Uh, Christine does with rhythm and the amount of panels on a page and also like rhyme you know what I mean like he's on some yeah he's on some other shit you know like and he maybe doesn't he's doing um, sometimes he's doing uh, decompressed storytelling is what they call it right he's doing that like with the same amount of pages (laughs) you know what I mean and in that sense he is kind of close to manga you know he plays with time and space and the way he breaks apart particular moments. Mm-hmm. He, I, I've I actually just been reading some Krigstein, um, so it's funny you should mention it, like I was reading it yesterday. But mm-hmm. the way he plays with the progression of time is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. The guy guys, it's funny you should mention them. They're, they're the one exception I was talking about to the factory rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
where did you where did you start picking this stuff up? Because I never became aware of it until Drawn and Quarterly started publishing it. Um, mm. You know, less than ten years ago. Is this something that you found when you were in school when you were younger? Yeah, they were more contemporary Gekiga guys. I didn't know what the I didn't know what Gekiga was, right? And like you know, whatever. I'm reading Tekken Concrito, but it's like, um, and Tekken Concrito could be like a uh, could almost look like shonen. You know what I mean? Because like two kids and they're running around and like you know. But before you know it, it's like it's pretty adult themed. And I guess like what you know, I I think um, Akira was uh, in a shonen magazine, right? What was that? Young magazine. I believe it was, yeah. Yeah, you know, but, like, when you start to, like, pull apart the themes, I guess it's shonen, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, you got that whole, he's got, like, a whole bunch of assistants and stuff. Yeah, man. I, you know, yeah, I just was never really into, you know, I kind of, you know, I was one of these kids, like, we had Thundercats, we had G.I. Joe and Transformers and stuff, and I think just at a very young age, my sort of aesthetic norms were shaped by, um, you know, that sort of flatness and like this sort of, you know, and frankly, um, Japanese aesthetics. And then like, you know, once I started to get into comics, my homie put me on to them. Like it was cool. You know, I kind of liked it. But when we would go to the comic book store, I would always end up looking at like the manga and stuff. You know what I mean? And then like from there, by the time I got to college, I'm looking for weird stuff too, because like, before I got out of high school, I picked up an issue of Non, you know what I mean? Jordan Crane's magazine. Oh, yeah. And then from that point, I was just like, you know, I was like, okay, what's weird? And so, like, now what's weird and manga or what's weird and you, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, I think I just started to pick up, you know, just little strange books, man. Like, I wanted something a little strange to scratch that itch. Like, I couldn't, um, and I just, what, what got me, and I feel like you're going to get, tones and the use of tones and for values in manga across the board whether it's like you know whatever type of manga you know i don't know man i recently not even five years ago maybe five ten years ago i started to get into shirado sampe and like you know just the ninja shit just like essentially that's some ideology of form shit and the same is with krigstein like krigstein's work and shirado sampe's work are like it's aware it's got political subjectivity you know what i mean it's aware like it's commenting on even if it's ninjas it's commenting on like life and like through a political framework and with a historicity you know what i mean like it's comparing say the um the the genre element of ninjas to like the historical aspect of ninjas to the historical plight of like say the lumpen proletariat or like the working class versus like you know the um say managing classes or you know uh you know feudal feudal uh class stratification so it's like you're just watching ninjas but before you know it you're being made aware of this. And I think like, um, man, I just owe such, I just owe so much, man, to like real talk to like Japanese artists, like visual artists and like storytellers, because, you know, even going back to like 
Sanjuro, right? Like, so I'm a teenager, I'm watching Yojimbo, and I'm watching Sanjuro, like, those works, I owe so much to them and kind of, like, seeing, being politically aware of what's happening in the world around me and, like, what aesthetics are um, doing to make me aware of that, to reproduce it even unconsciously, or, you know, to antagonize, like, you know? I just owe so much, man. Like, it's it's crazy, because when I start to think back about it, like, um, maybe that's what formed my practice, like, you know, that approach, like the 60s cats, you know what I mean? Six, it's not even Japanese cats, like 60s Japanese, like, filmmakers, and uh, manga, man, like really just influenced my approach to art, you know? And yeah. artists in general, probably around the world that shit was happening, man. Because like, yeah, you start to get get out of that and then you start to get into like what? Like John Pierre Melville, you start to get into like, you know, cats all around the world, man, here, you know? Emery Douglas, you know what I mean? Like, um, yo, I just saw Ganja and Hess in the theaters for the first time, man, like the other day. You know, man, all of it. All right, yeah, yeah. So let's let's go back to tones. Mm. That is a uh, a good segue into a web comic you did. Was that for the nib or was that oh, elsewhere? Lighten. lighten up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can can you walk walk me through lighten up just a little bit? Oh man, like I have so many feelings. It's been so long. Uh, three since three I years old that? at this point. Yeah, yeah, but it's like it's funny because like um, I didn't even work like that. Kind of set me on this pathway to trying to understand the role of aesthetics or like aesthetics and how they can be used politically. Right. Because right. like that is a comic that totally didn't do what I intended it to do politically. Like, I, there are very few people I talk to who kind of like. I don't know who I feel like, wow, okay, so you got like a sort of thoughtfulness about the role of, you know, like, um, you got like, kind of like a thoughtfulness about political subjectivity. It's like, it's more people just kind of, you know, ah, well, let's identify this microaggression type of deal. You know what I mean? Like, um, which is not what I intended. And you know what, when you make art, you like, it's, you know, um, you gotta just kind of let it do what it's gonna do. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't necessarily just strictly art, man. Like that was an essay. You know what I mean? Um, it was very, it was very didactic. You know what I mean? Like, um, so in a weird sort of way, it made me question like my uh, abilities. And I don't know if it's just like the cultural moment, um, but obviously, you know, yeah, I have to take some blame for it. Um, first of all, the way that the, um, the editor involved, you know, like people said like, yeah, of course you knew that was going to happen. I was like, yeah, but I kind of sometimes believe that people will, I don't know, I'm both like cynical and optimistic in some ways. You know what I mean? Like I was hoping, I was hoping like, okay, well I'm just laying it out here. Why? the fact that this is even an issue is indicative of a sort of um, cultural 
social political phenomenon, right? Uh-huh. Um, I'm not saying like, aha, you're a racist type of shit. Um, but like, we're all swimming in racist, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't swim in the water and not get wet. You know sure. what I mean? So just like if it was a, you know, like a gender or a sex thing, it's like, you know, we, we're all dealing with this shit. We don't, nobody gets out alive. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying is, is like, the whole thing is to indicate how, like, that little exchange makes, you know, like, to build a framework of, like, political subjectivity around that exchange that I had. Like, it could be a learning moment, you know what I mean, for us all, you know what I mean? But what it came out was like, ooh, look at how racist comics editorial is. It's like, yo, that's if you were surprised by that, then like, you know, you know, catch up. <laughs> like, that's not the point at all. I you guess know? because I know you, my reaction to it was very different. And I know that you're not somebody that engages in that kind of like social media call out culture at all. Right. Um, so it was weird for me to see the reaction to it. That's what you're describing. Because I guess people that were reading it weren't putting the thoughtfulness into it that you put into creating it. Maybe, maybe that's not fair to to folks' reaction. Yeah, but well, that's fair. So I don't know, man. Yeah, but I mean, I think some people just need that. Though I think they need to be seen too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when that happens to you, you need to be seen and know, like, okay, well, yeah, that happened to me too. I think there was a lot of that, and then that. I mean, I'm glad to serve that function. You know. Um, it's not what I intended, but like, I'm glad to serve that function, man. Like people need to be seen, you know? I mean, I guess for anybody that hasn't read it, like what was the thesis of the strip? Uh, yeah, my bad. I just totally skipped that, man. So I basically, I set up, um, uh, I had an instance where an editor asked me to lighten the skin color of a, uh, Latinx character, Latin American character. You know what I mean? Like, uh, um. And uh, I use that as a sort of like foil to talk about colorism, aesthetics, uh, you know, and I and I use sort of like the formal um, constraints of or like playing around with um, hex hexadecimal code, like on, you know, like sort of the how you figure out color or how the, the web um, produces color, like coordinates of color on the internet. Right. Um, and also, you know, just to like using that to show that, look, man, like depending on my lens, a character could be a different value scale. You know what I mean? Like light and dark moving in and outside of the light, you know, (laughs) you know, you know what I mean? Like the skin color could be different. Um, just going back and forth from that. And also from one of the first volleys we had, me and the editor, they were like, well, they're not, I don't remember which it was. They're not, they're not black and Mexican. They're um, Mexican and, and white or like Latina and white or something. Right. And I'm like, yo, first of all, like, <laughs> like, can we just talk about the, the, different ways you could be, you know, um, Latinx, Latin American, you know what I mean? Like the different, 
you know, how the racial designation does not coincide with uh, uh, nationality or, um, you know, like your identity as a, as a Latinx person, a Latin person, you know what sure, I mean? Like, yeah. So it's like, yeah, you could be from Puerto Rico, you could be black, you know what I mean? Be Afro-Latino, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I just wanted to have that discussion and in a weird way, I stumbled halfway backwards into it because, like, I'm not Afro-Latin that I know of. You know what I mean? I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> you know what sure. I mean? Like, and sometimes, in a way, that's what it boils down to, right? Like, if you're Puerto Rican and you're born in New York, you're New Yorkian, right? You don't speak Spanish, right? But, like, you're dark as I am. Are you black or are you Afro-Latina? Latino, you know what I mean? Like, so it's interesting, man. Like, I don't know. I wanted to have that conversation. I thought that is what was more interesting about it. And I thought I was, you know, I, I made an attempt at humor. Maybe I'm just not funny. <laughs> maybe that's, I mean, maybe, like, I'm, I'm looking at it now, and when I read it, I can kind of hear you laughing as you say these things. Yeah. And yeah. I understand that what you're doing is raising the question. It's not antagonistic. So, I mean, here's the crazy thing nobody ever pointed out that I saw in the reaction to it is that it's it's a beautifully designed and illustrated piece like there's an aspect to it that's beyond what it's saying there's a craft to it that speaks back to the original intent of the conversation if that makes any sense you know what I mean like mm -hmm. like over the course of discussing your reaction to being asked to change a skin tone it's basically like a, a crash course in how to depict people across the spectrum from like aliens to humans to humans of every every stripe or whatever you know yeah. like it, it you really go into what how people have been depicted in history and you're giving yeah. us the pantones for all of these it's a uh, I, I think there's so much more going into it than just kind of a call out of of editors is yeah, that man. is that fair i don't know yeah, man, and I wanted to I, I wanted to give people also like a looseness, like it's like I don't know if they were getting that from someone above or what, like that sort of um, that sort of a uh, note, but it's just like, yo, it's the type of thing you could just be like, nah, <laughs> like no, that's not that's not a note I need to give this cat. Like first of all, like how about this? How about as a white person, I feel uncomfortable telling a person of color to arbitrarily lighten the skin color of a character. How about that? That's not a story note. Like, we're depicting a fictional character. Right. And, like, I'm not going to tell him to do that. You know? Not for nothing, his his model colors are off for all of the weird alien characters, right? Like, I don't like... I didn't like the apocalypse colors, so I made it a little bit more, like wavy like my type of shit right <laughs> you know what i mean so but like i didn't get a note for that right so like what are you policing you feel me that in this particular way it is you're policing something that has to do with like a sort of you know racial paradigm yeah and i just want people to think about that and it's not like oh it's like you know, I've been called out, man, like, and, you know, in a gentle way. Maybe it was not gentle. Maybe because it was, like, you know, online or whatever. But it's, like, at the same time, I'm not too worried about somebody's feelings right now. Sure. 
Sorry. No, I, but I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, to me, when I read this, it's a it's a discussion, it's a conversation, yeah. and it's not, you know, if you're not worried about somebody's feelings, but you're also not trying. No, not That's at not all. The intent, yeah. Man, like, let me tell you something. I had such a good time outside of that working on that job. Like, it was such a good job. The editor was super nice, you know, like, and in a weird sort of way, like, in the conversation, I felt like I tried to let them off the hook a couple times, you know what I mean? Like, kind of like, oh, yeah, no, that is ridiculous. And then in the end, I just didn't change it anyway. But I wasn't like, look, you made me feel tight some type of way about this, that, and the third. And then I was talking to somebody else about it, real talk, and I was like, you know, I should make a comic about that. And they were like, yo, that would be a great comic. And in a weird sort of way, like, this is me talking to the black folk who are listening. I'm, you know, I feel kind of tight because it's like, the person who wanted to hear that the most was a white person. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, oh, of course. You know what I mean? Like, oh. So I sometimes wonder if, like... I wonder if, like, the spectacle of me addressing that issue was interesting to the white gaze, even. You know what I mean? And, like, the way the white gaze understands it is, like, oh, here's some racist shit not to do. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas I I think, you know, the more sort of, like, political, maybe, like, the black radical way of understanding that is kind of like, wow, okay, well, this is just some stuff that happens, and this is what it's indicative of. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a matter of, oh, like, you know, let me just dodge this and, like, oh, I can't believe this person did that. And, like, you know, um, let me feel better about myself because I would never do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not what it's about. What was, the, like, the general reaction to that that strip that you – was there any blowback? Did you get any any mm. any obnoxious response to it or was it generally all – I mean, it was uh, – I feel like it was relatively well-received. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, um, like, really well received. Yeah, no, it's like, it's funny because, in one way, it's probably why you like, not that I was tripping over myself to work for Marvel, but like, in a, in one way, it's like I never uh, will work for them again, at least as long as they had the same editorial structure. But in another way, um, it's like I probably how I ended up working on, um, you know, that's probably how I got like my New Yorker job. You know what I mean? Like it it was it kind of demonstrated like my sort of like what how I work in that particular way and I think it was very successful. Like honestly, it's probably the comic of mine most people have seen like seen. You know, more people have seen that comic probably than anything else I've done, I'm guessing. Because it got a little viral for like a minute. You know? Yeah. Well, here's, ah. a, here's a question. So after all this discussion on skin tones, black mm. history in its own words right. is done in grayscale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. I never thought about that. But that was intentional, right? No, nah, not really. I mean, like, <laughs> not really. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's funny. That, I mean, it's just that was – I mean, but this is what I'm saying. Like, this is how – and it's not like to be spooky or anything, but I honestly believe, um, like, ideology, it you know, produces aesthetics, you know, and like your political, what you're doing, how you think politically, 
produces an aesthetic like it's right there in the work you know what i mean like i think about you know like a lot of like my own personal struggles um with things like so for instance man like i'm a you know thinking about one of the things i've been thinking about since i even got went to art school was like how to or the way i i feel like i think about it almost more than i think about like the black thing, right? Which is like, how do I draw, like how drawing women and how I draw women reflects like how I think about women, right. you know? Like as people, you know? Um, and thinking about how, say for instance, I could even be honest with my own desire and lens while at the same time having my aesthetics reflect the political work I want to do, you know? Um, and I guess how that relates to uh, the grayscale shit is like, or even the fact that like the newspaper comes out and somebody's like, oh, you're really influenced by Emory Douglas's Black Panther papers. Like, no, but that shit is on my mind all the time. And like, it's just, uh, the grayscale shit is probably part of my political subconscious, man. Like, I'm so focused on everything else, though. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so focused on everything else that I'm just producing something that does sometimes accidentally uh, the aesthetically what, I, what I'm what i thinking about politically, you know? That's all. That's kind of how I take it, you know? Yeah, sure. One of the crazy things in the history of comics, when you look at this grayscale skin tone, is EC Comics, the home mm-hmm. of Bernie Krigstein, mm-hmm. shut themselves down yeah. because they were asked to remove the grayscale skin tone off of an African-American character. Yeah, which is crazy, right? Yeah. You would think that's like playing into exactly sort of the, you know visual representation of race like in a good in the way that it kind of fits with you know sort of the hegemony you know like fits with like the sort of you know aesthetic um delineation of race you figure like they'd be cool with that but it's crazy that they that was the problem oh no (laughs) yeah i mean the the comics code back in back at that time was so like like middle america white bread i cover briefly in loud like i do a timeline that talks about a timeline that essentially I wanted to show I wanted to write an article that shows why I came to or how I came to or the evidence for why I feel the way I feel about um, Black Heroes Matters and like sort of Black Panther as a political um, action the movie I'm talking about not the party um, right. and so like I I uh I made a whole timeline that essentially gave like an what I was hoping like a historicity to like why I feel the way that I feel and not really put out how I feel like in too explicit terms kind of I do though and like you know and and in within that I talk about sort of the um the red scare and also like the um uh the court case um revolving around that book um what's the name of the book you of all people 
Seduction of the Innocent? Yeah, 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 yeah. The court case and like, um, and yeah, and EC is in there too. I forgot the name of the strip is, the strip is the one where the brother goes to space. Judgment Day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. The dudes at EC were absolutely doing work about racism and, and, you know, just all sorts of social issues. Well, there's this, right? There's this. It's like at a certain point, you you have to act politically, regardless of like what your, you know, um, what you're thinking are. Like they're not always woke, you know. What I mean, they're not really with the shits like in the way that we might would want them to be. But you have to act a certain way, man. Like when you're when you're faced with antagonisms, you gotta like, how do you do it? Like, what do you do? How are you gonna politically act? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That may be it, man. I don't know. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna hit on? No, loud. Keep an eye out for Sunset Park. I'm drawing it right now. Um, yeah, you know, trying to have that, man. I'm trying to have it out by fall, man. I really want to get it out by fall, but um, trying to streamline my process so that I work faster. You know, we sh- we really should just do a- another whole conversation because we didn't hit on sentences. We didn't hit on. Uh, we didn't get into lab as much as I was hoping to. That's the deep dive. We'll do part two or something, man. Like, let's do a part two. Yeah, dope. Sounds good, man. Um, looking forward to it, and it was great talking. And I'm, I'm gonna keep an eye. On it. Thanks again to Ronald Wimberly for taking the time to talk to us. After this recording was uh, was put to tape, as they say, and before it was cut. It was announced that Legendary Pictures would be producing an adaptation of Prince of Cats, uh, which is one of his books from Image. So hopefully in part two we can talk about that, among other things. The Comic Book Legal Defense Fund is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we depend on your donations to continue the work that we do. You can donate by visiting cbldf.org and clicking the donate banner. You can also help by going to your podcast uh, streaming function of choice, be that iTunes or, or whatever you use to listen to us, and rate us if that's possible. You can also recommend us to your friends. We do appreciate that support as well. This podcast and all of our education programs are made possible by a donation from the Gaiman Foundation and from the financial support of listeners like yourself. Thank you very much. Hey! Hey! On top.